It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. I mean, I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 22. Thank you so much for joining us, gentle listener. All of this is brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my XNO work for InsideThePylon.com. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Also, follow my work for BleedingGreenNation.com. Just drop the Mike Hughes piece. Let's go. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven-Year Streak, without a bad day. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation, and NDTScouting.com is where he does his excellent draft work. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, Mike, every day is a good day to be alive, my man. Enjoying it. It's been a busy week for me just with church and everything, but excited getting closer and closer to the draft day after day i'm into day three which is always a little bit tiresome and a little bit fun because it's tiresome when you go through five or ten guys that just don't excite you Mm. and, and there's not much to them and you don't really see a good future for them but then it's fun because always around the corner can be that guy who you you really want to plant your flag for and to me that was ade aruna uh, another episode behind the curtain is up uh, behind the Patreon paywall, of course. And so if you are a patron subscriber for BGN Radio, then you do have access to it. Checking out Ade Aruna's tape 2016 against Memphis. Mike, I thought it looked good. That's, to me, that that's an early day three guy, especially because he's an edge. That's a great physical profile. He's got a good a good baseline foundation, traits-wise and technique-wise, and you certainly can project a little bit of development there as well. But he certainly has the requisite traits to just rush the passer consistently from the outside or the inside, at least as a backup, seeing the field for 10, you know, 12 snaps, and then hopefully into something more. 
Ade Aruna has me excited. You can find out why again on the BGN Radio YouTube channel if you are a patron subscriber. But that was my fun moment. The sad thing is that the next 10 day three guys I watch won't be too great. But Ade Aruna is a reason to get pumped about that young man. Yeah, and I agree with you. I peeped him when I saw that they were looking at him. And I definitely saw some tools that you could work with. All right, Ben. Speaking of meeting with prospects and all that good stuff, we are going to be talking about the official visits that the Eagles had, and we're going to break these players down. So we only have a certain amount. It's not all 30 yet, but we are going to go through the list of the players that the Eagles have brought in for official visits. We're going to break down their game, really get into the nitty gritty. Ben, you want to start off with running back because we have Darius Geis that we get to talk about again because the Eagles are smart and they like Darius Geis. I'll let you start with Geis with your thoughts on him, how he would fit with the Eagles. You know how I feel about him. He's a bull in a china shop with quick footwork that marries with his vision and burst. Mm-hmm. I really love his game. What do you think about him, Ben? Yeah, workhorse. We've seen Philadelphia do a ton of, of new and inventive things and just using running backs as niche players, kind of using them, uh, not being afraid to tip their hand and say, this is our receiving back, this is our pass protecting back, this is our zone running back, whatever. They're not really afraid of telling you what they're going to do with a guy, you know, rotating them in, not really giving one a significant amount of snaps. If that was more a convention of the personnel and not so much the way that, you know, a guy like Doug Peterson wants to go. And now that Deuce Staley is the assistant head coach, maybe Staley, who we know is a big fan of Geis, wants to bring in a bell cow back. That's the first thing that you notice about Darius Geis is that he is the sort of player you want to get 15, 18 carries. I didn't say touches. I said carries a game because he's a steamroller. He's a train. He he likes to get chugga, chugga, chugga. That was something that we posited and we, we talked about, you know, when it's LeGarrette Blunt and Jay Ajayi, when the trade first happened with the Dolphins, was there going to be an issue with these guys not being able to build up momentum because there was a rotation at the position? And it was something that, that Coach Staley handled very well. And, and there was more of a first half focus on Ajayi and maybe a second half, fourth quarter focus on Blunt. And they were allowed to have drives to really get get the steamroller moving. And I think with Geis, you would... You would take away a little bit of that problem, but you would have to have a focus on getting him the ball and having him consistently uh, see running back touches. So I think if you bring in Geis, it will represent a slight offensive mentality shift. That being said, you know, the Marshawn Lynch comps are are reasonable in terms of of, of violence and, and contact balance and willingness to hit and ability through the tackles. I don't think Marshawn Lynch was ever as fleet footed, as agile or as flexible as Darius Geis. Really, the only questions you have about Darius guys are two minor ones. Number one, how much of an impact can he be as a pass catcher? Uh, No reason to believe he can't be a solid one. However, no evidence that he has been one because he wasn't used that way. So you always have to have the question mark. And then number two, which is, I think, a warranted one, especially in Philadelphia's situation, is he a long-term player? Running backs tend to not have a great shelf life. And then when you're Darius Geis and you run like your body is an actual sledgehammer, are you inviting uh, consistent injury uh, worries? Are you going to beat down your body early? Are you going to be worth a second contract, especially if you're drafted? Interesting to think about the, the optics of drafting him. Interesting what that might allude to. Undoubtedly more talented than 32. I think that's a great win now pick. And it, it has a big dimension to Philadelphia's offense for sure. And to your point about the run style that he has that is going to maybe invite some some dings and whatnot. And he got those in 2017 for sure. This is a guy that still has less than 500 carries, which is good. This is a young guy, too. He's only turning 21 in June. The other thing, and I think the under underrated aspect to this, you look at Jay Ajayi and you look at his career carries. 
just slightly over 500. He's got seven fumbles. He had three fumbles last year in just around 200 carries. Darius Geis has three in his career, had zero fumbles last year. So the ball security thing could be another thing that they're looking to upgrade just in that area because Ajayi did let some go last year that that were a little irresponsible for him. So that's another aspect to look at, too, look at too that doesn't really get talked about. The other running back that we brought in, we talked about him the other day, Rashad Penny out of San Diego State, 5'11", 220. That body composition is exactly what you're looking right. for in a running back. He's got anticipation and decision-making combined with his athleticism to allow him to rip off chunk yards regularly. I think he had over 35 runs of 15-plus yards last year or something like that. He ran a lot of big-time plays for that San Diego State offense. He uses a mix of quickness, stiff arms, lateral agility to make defenders miss. And here's the thing, that returnability that he has, the seven kick returns for touchdowns in his career, the one punt return touchdown in his career. Uh, the, my issues with him, he's a bit upright. I think he's an inconsistent finisher. I would like to see him put it together on a more consistent basis. He is awful in pass protection. There's no way around it. He might be the worst pass protector in the class, which limits his value, but he does have that return value. What do you think about Penny as far as the official visit? Do you think they're looking at him really seriously to kind of fill that the Sproles role to be the returner and then just as a change of pace guy, maybe to Jay Ajayi? Well, let me, let me ask you this, actually, just from the jump. Is he a top 100 player for you? Yes, he's not top 50. I think he pro- I, th- I think he's going to score out right around like 75. We'll yeah, call it so that. he's outside of my top 100. Mm. What it comes down to is yeah, he's excellent vision, uh, great decision maker, ability to one cut and, and drive, really manipulate mm-hmm. second level blocks well. But to me, I don't think that he's an ideal zone runner. I think he's limited to gap power. I think he's limited in terms of how often he can be on the field because you, you alluded to the poor pass protection. He's also not a great receiver just in general. Do you think that that's a product of the way he was used or that's just him? Because, you know, he had that long touchdown catch with running after the catch at the senior bowl. Do you think that's more of a usage thing or it's just that we haven't really seen it yet? Because I'll say this, I wasn't impressed by it too much at the senior bowl and the one-on-one drills. He did nothing for me in the practices and then had that big gain in the game. I was like, what's going on here with him? No, yeah. So, I mean, the big gain was like a, uh, it was like a scramble drill with Benker, like making nonsense up. Right. He at San Diego State, you, you go back to the tape, they moved him around the formation. They flexed him out. They did silly stuff with him, right? They wanted to get him involved because he was a great athlete, which makes sense, but he just doesn't have good hands. He's not a natural pass catcher. Uh-huh. I don't imagine his usage at the next level being a running back that gets flexed out and moved around. You know what I mean? Like right. there's one running back I can think of at his size that does that, and that's like David Johnson, and he's not a David Johnson. And then maybe like <laughs> Ty Montgomery but that's a weird situation that right. doesn't really count. You know what I mean? <laughs> so to me, we just have a guy who is good at what he does and isn't good at much else. Hmm. Why would I take him early in the fourth when I can get a guy who's good at what he does and not much else in the sixth? Because that's that's the running back market is just full of niche players like that. Philadelphia is an evidence of that. Corey Clement, the guy who's an undrafted free agent, right? Them bringing in Penny makes me think, yes, number one, this was the worst year for returners ever in Philadelphia because Smallwood fell off, no Sproles, Josh Huff was gone, and it was a Kenyon Barner who's decent but not great, right? So they definitely, you know, are looking at uh, returners. We talked about, uh, well, we will talk about Traymond Smith, this Central Arkansas right. corner who is a dynamic punt returner. They have like a Sheldon Gibson and Danelle Pumphrey and other guys to try to figure it out. 
They clearly want to work on the returning, but I don't think they brought in Penny with the intention of, of trying to snag him, you know, round three, round four. You know, maybe if he's there when, you know, the 30th pick around four, the 32nd pick around four, and they, they feel the need to take him, they go for it. But he does not strike me as a as a day two premium pick target for Philadelphia. Yeah, I don't, I'm don't fine with waiting on a guy, maybe like a Naeem Hines or something like that, that can give you some return value as well. And also is a very good pass catcher because he came, as, came in as a wide receiver to NC State. Okay, we got another pass catcher, but this is from a wide receiver that we brought in pretty early in the process. Doris Fountain from Northern Doris. Iowa, 6'1 and a half. <laughs> He's 210. Good at the at the catch point. Got a big time catch radius, long arms. He's got the basketball background. He's got a track background. He jumped. I mean, he's got bunnies, 42 and a half on the He bird. was in the air for about a year. <laughs> yeah, and, and along with the rest of his game, good spatial awareness to find the soft spots. I like the way he accelerates after the catch. He doesn't slow down to make the catch. He runs through it, gets upfield. He's going to get you extra yards. My issue with him, and, I, and again, I really like him at the catch point. I think he can win that way early. I would like to see his physical profile match the play strength that I see on film more consistently. And part of that is when he's releasing, especially when he's getting vertical, I see him and you you watch the Cal Poly game, for instance, he's consistently getting pushed to that sideline and limiting the window that the quarterback can throw it to. And you could say, yeah, he could have had a couple more catches, even a touchdown if the ball is thrown a little bit more inside. But Fountain's kind of getting himself in that situation and creating that small window. So I would like to be him. I would like for him to be more consistent in that area. He's got routes so raw that they could give you salmonella. But I think there are pieces there that you can work with. Uh, ben, what do you think about Fountain? Because I know you like him. Yeah, I'm a fan. Uh, he's he's a uh, he's like a top 120 guy for me. He's he's lower than 100, but he'll be one of oh, my wow. yeah. He'll be you know he'll be an early round four grade for me. And this is the long and the short of it. I think that you know West Coast style of offense, he's very dangerous. Because you talked about routes and you talked about getting pushed to the sideline. But I think something you consistently see for his tape, you go uh, against North Dakota, right? And you even go and you watch the Shrine game a little bit because Mm. this is a good example of maybe how the Shrine game can help you because roots are a little less defined. West Coast offense is very often you need to get as a wide receiver to a spot by a time. And kind of how you get there, there's a little bit of room for interpretation. In the sense that, you know, you can work the stem and you can you can work the release and work the top of the route in different ways, you know, breaking, working against corner leverage, depending on what you get and where the space is. And so against man and against zone, something that I saw from, I don't know if it's Fountain or Fontaine or whatever, something I consistently saw from Derice was he has a good understanding of where space is. He has a good understanding of where to get leverage. I hear you with the play strength concerns. One of the things that I will do when you play at a school like Northern Iowa is assume that you will get probably a little bit stronger when you come to the NFL, right? You know, because yeah. like, and that that's obviously it's an assumption I have to make. I've never had the chance to stand next to Fountain, see what his body type is, see if he looks maxed out. That's obviously something that the Eagles were checking out during his top 30 visit. So I really like the spatial awareness. And to me, spatial awareness with that level of explosiveness means that I can get you to run better routes, number one. Number two, you know how to get where you belong in the concept at least, right? Yeah. And if it's dirty, it's dirty. And we can work on that. You throw on top of that incredible body control in the air. And to me, I this agree. is a young man who who's going to be able to threaten multiple levels of the field. Uh, that is if he develops well. So he's not you know, going to be a top top three round sort of a pick he's going to be a day three guy but to me i think he's very clearly a top 20 wide receiver in this class i think philadelphia can get him 
I think it'd be a very similar pick to Matt Collins. Yeah. Similar area, you know, late round four, round five, big physical profile, has a niche right away, and you think you can develop him and move him around and improve him. So, Fountain is an interesting player regardless of where he goes. I like the fact that Philly brought him in. I think it's a good look. Yeah, and I think people are going to react to him if we pick him in the fourth round just like we did to Matt Collins at first yeah. and go, oh, wait, he's actually good. And you know, it's a key point that actually, like, I, I'm not surprised they brought in Fountain who was one of the best players at the Shrine game, is because we remember when the Shrine game was going on, Philadelphia was in like the NFC Championship. Uh, remember, the Eagle Scouts were late to the Senior Bowl because uh, yeah. they had just won the Super Bowl, Mike. And so like there was stuff going on in the building <laughs> and like they didn't have as much of, an, uh, of a um, of a presence down and Mobile as maybe other teams did. And so I'm not surprised they took probably a Shrine game guy who maybe, you know, if they had never made the playoffs, they would have sent more decision makers down to the Shrine game and they brought him in. So that's something to consider as well. Yeah, that's a very good point. Bring me your best Shrine game guy yes. to my office. I want to talk with him because we didn't get a chance to fully vet him. I, I mean, that makes total sense. All right. Moving on to tight end. We have brought one in, one that I am a fan of, one that I said would be a riser in the summer. And he's certainly done that. However, he has fallen off because of injury. Chris Herndon from Miami. This is a guy... You, yeah, you give the scouting report because I haven't done much on Herndon. And so I want to hear what you think of him. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is a guy that played a lot of different roles for Miami as a move tight end. There were times where he split out, uh, where I really like the fluidity throughout his route tree. He's a yak threat. Dude is a load to bring down. He's a better blocker than people are talking about because I don't think people are talking about that aspect of his game at all. But there's enough there on tape and there's a potential to get better if he has the want to. If that is part of his game that improves in the NFL, he's a really exciting prospect that is going to surprise people. And he's got the size to be able to block too. He's over 6'3". He weighs 256 pounds. And like we've said before, he's the forgotten man of this tight end class because of the season-ending MCL tear late in the season. So he hasn't been in these showcase games despite being invited to the Senior Bowl. Obviously didn't perform at the Combine. Those medicals are going to be hugely important for his stock if he's clean. He's one of my favorites at the position, and he would be a fantastic replacement for Trey Burton that you would hope has a discount sticker attached to the price due to the injury. So Herndon right. is definitely a guy that I have my eye on. How many tight ends are better than Herndon? Like, where, where is he in your rankings? Maybe six or seven, like tops. Yeah. Like, he's right in that conversation on the fringe of the top five. Right, because I know that over at NDT, I'm pretty sure it's Kyle Krabs who has him top six top seven tight mm. end as far as off of team. Yeah. If memory serves, I'm not positive. But I'm pretty sure Kyle's super high on him. I know somebody is. Uh, but either way, it's so it's good to hear that, that a few people are psyched about him. I've only seen him live and in passing in the first half of the season when he was still doing stuff for Miami. I've not sat down with Herndon yet. Uh, so it's exciting to hear that he's a potential guy. They're gonna get. They're gonna bring in a day three tight end, Mike. That that I've I've yep. been on that for a month now. Day three tight end is happening, no question. So speaking about day three guys, someone that I have a day three grade on offensive tackle Chuck Wilmo Korafor yeah. from Western Michigan is a guy that we brought in, dude. His punch and and I'm being nice here, Ben is abysmal, and it, and it's not just in pass pro where he stands up straight out of his stance with wide and light hands. It shows up in the run game, too. He struggles to locate and affect guys at the second level and struggles identifying twists and stunts and delays. It's just and, – and I get it. He's got long arms, big hands. He's big. He's a strong dude. But everything in his game is fighting against that natural power. It's like a constant battle of his power trying to come through and his technique is just like betraying him every step of the way. Uh, he needs so much work. 
seeing that he comes from a program with a very good line coach that consistently has them playing at a high level as a unit. They're constantly in the talk for the Joe Moore Award for the best line in college football. It's discouraging to see that he made zero strides in his game from 2016 to 2017. And look, Jeff Stoutland is a fantastic coach. I know he worked him out, and I trust his judgment if he gives him the seal of approval. But it would be his opus if he was able to turn Chucks into a starting caliber left tackle within the first three years of his his career i i just don't see it what about you ben is it chucks or chooks i don't care i don't i don't care hey be nice <laughs> okay yeah is, is it chooks well so he's like so it's chukwoma his name so it, that would be like chooks but when he spells it there's an e in between the k and the s when he spells his nickname which uh, the silent so e would make it chooks i don't know <laughs> here's what's important here i don't think chukwoma core four fits in his own scheme I think if anything for him to be successful, he's a power blocking lineman. Philadelphia needs to bring zone blocking linemen. That's pretty much Philadelphia's offensive right. line is predicated on athleticism. When you bring in Chukwuma Okorafor, uh, I think you're bringing him in solely for the sake of running him through movement drills and seeing if you're positive that he can't play in his own scheme. Now, right. we didn't see that workout, obviously, but I'll tell you this, when we go to the old combine, and I see a guy who's 8th percentile in his vertical jump, 50th percentile in his broad jump, 44th percentile in his three-cone, 42nd percentile in his 20-yard shuttle, it's below average athleticism and explosiveness. And so to me, Mm -hmm. that on top of the tape leads me to believe that he is not a zone blocking scheme lineman. He does not have the mobility requisite, and thereby I don't imagine him being a high target on Philadelphia's board. That's what I think. 1,000% agree. Uh, One guy that we, we did bring in that does fit the zone scheme that we have james daniels from io we talked we talked about him on episode 20 the heir apparent's episode saying that he could be a possible successor for jason kelsey so we'll table the talk on him go back to that episode if you haven't heard it we're going to move to the defensive side of the ball where they have brought in some linebackers in force the first one being leighton vander esch from boise state and ben i gotta tell you dude the Oregon game that jonah tolls from ndt scouting recommended on the timeline i had not seen yet the the bowl game it kind of opened my eyes to what everybody else is seeing that's high on him. And if you're down on Vander Esch and you haven't seen that bowl game, go check it out. He was pretty dominant. And it, and it showed everything, well, nearly everything that I wanted to see from him, especially from a key and diagnose standpoint, firing his gun. These are still issues that I have with him. He has really long arms. And I think they're, what, like 97 percentile, something like that, if you check it on Mock Draftable. But I don't understand why he doesn't use them. He doesn't use his hands to stack and shed. It's the worst part of his game. And there's zero reason for it to be that way. And just once, I wanted to see him blow up a running back that was trying to pick him up on a blitz. He's got probably 50 pounds working in his favor and a full head of steam in that situation. And he just gears down. It's the most frustrating thing, dude. If, if he gets better in those two areas and he continues his development when it comes to processing speed, I'll get the appeal because I definitely think there's something special there. I really do. And he's moved up my board recently after watching a few more games. So I'm not totally down on him. There's just some serious question marks that I have. Uh, ben, what do you think about that? No, I'm really happy you brought up uh, the bowl game, Mike, because I think it's a good time to breach this topic. Josh Allen had a great bowl game against Central Michigan. He's now my quarterback one. There it is. Bowl game. One game changed everything. Listen. Stop it. The KFC Potato Bowl. I will tell you, uh, it was the Idaho Potato Bowl, sir. And it was one of the most ridiculous games I've ever watched. Central Michigan's (laughs) uniforms of ketchup and mustard. 
next to Wyoming's uniforms of hot dog and mustard on a bright blue field in Boise, Idaho. I have no idea what sport that was. It was not professional football. Anyway. Makes you hungry, though. Here's the deal. I'll tell you why he doesn't use his hands and why he doesn't play with physicality is because he was playing seven on seven ball in wherever it was that he grew up. That ridiculous Montana, Idaho, whatever right. nonsense. Correct. Cornfields. As of right now, we have a player who has an incredible physical profile and has the ability to do everything you want. But I am not positive about the headspace. And then even if yeah. the instincts are good and the recognition is good and it's, a, it's, it's hesitation and it's play style, I'm not positive about the physicality to be able to work through the trees. Yeah, he's huge and his neck yeah. is thicker than like the Grand Canyon is wide. And he's looks terrifying, but but he's you look not like Tarzan. You play like Jane. I don't really care. You know what I mean? Right. So here's the deal. <laughs> if he's around at 32, which it seems very clear that he's not going to be around at 32. It says he's got visits mm. with like every team in the 20s, some teams in the low teens. If he's there at 32, I can totally understand why he would be the pick. I wouldn't be furious if he was the pick. I think Vanderesh at Bradham and Hicks. I think you would put Vanderesh at Mike and you would move Hicks to Will is probably one of the best linebacking cores in the league, assuming those three can stay together kind of into 2020, because I think you're going to need a little bit of time for Ash. Right. But there is reason to be concerned with Van Der Esch, and And to me, he's not a first-round grade. I know to a lot of tape heads, uh, guys who aren't necessarily super next to the league, he's not a first-round grade, and there are serious concerns about recognition and about play style. Bringing him in, is definitely a great way to get inside of the head and to see how quickly he keys. Kind of just like in, in, in a vacuum. Right. Keys quickly in a vacuum, maybe you feel better about his tape. And if he's slow in a vacuum, then you feel worse about his tape. So I can understand bringing him in is a great move if you're worried and you're, and you're questioning that. We don't know how they feel about him. I, can under, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a target at 32, given the way the rest of the league feels about him. I just would certainly have my concerns. I definitely agree with you there. He snuck like right inside of my top 30 if you take quarterbacks out. I don't have a first round grade on him, but I do see what other people are talking about. I just wish he was just a little bit physical, man, because, okay, so you look at Rashawn Evans, and if Rashawn Evans from Alabama, who we brought in for a visit, has a running back in front of them, he is going to knock their block off. Rashawn Evans hates people. Exactly. There is a lot to like about Evans, and even though he can be a bit out of control as a tackler he can miss and let some guys slip by him but he brings the thump behind him and Alabama liked putting him on the edge as a pass rusher where he displayed a really nice spin move that was consistent for him so he has that ability as well fun fact about Evans Ben his father Allen played running back at Auburn before Joe uh, before Bo Jackson replaced him so he's got those athletic bloodlines that you know the NFL loves but yeah Evans has a motor it doesn't quit He's a mean son of a gun, and I think he brings you just enough in coverage to play all three downs if need be, which he wouldn't need to do in Philadelphia right away, plus that pass rush upside uh, that I mentioned. How do you like Evans? So wait, his pops went to Auburn, and he went to Bama? Yeah. Is that is, are they, is he still his dad? Is that still <laughs> valid? He may have eaten his dad. I don't know, dude. He's a mean mamma jamma. So I don't, I don't know how all that worked out. Maybe that's part of why he's uh, – I don't want to speculate on son-father relationships, but you see what I'm getting at. No, certainly. Listen, uh, yeah, Rashawn Evans, angry son of a gun. I, the, you brought up an interesting point. Maybe not great in coverage right now, but a guy who is uh, wouldn't have to cover on all three downs in Philadelphia. I think, one, he's not a super solid man coverage sort of a player – 
but I yeah. do think he's a good and getting better zone player. I think he, I agree. his I think I think processing speed right now is his worst trait, and it's not even that bad. And it got better during the season. And I think yeah. that for a guy who played a lot of edge, did a lot of blitzing for Alabama, it's understandable why perhaps his processing speed in coverage isn't exactly what it should be, right? And so I think that the coverage concern isn't as big of an issue, number one. And then certainly number two, when Jordan Hicks and Nigel Bradham are on the field, they're likely the best coverage linebacking duo in the NFL. And that's tough to say because there's so much safety linebacker hybrids. And I think two right, years right, right. ago when Keekley and, and Thomas Davis were still doing their thing with Shaq Ooh, Thompson yeah. in Carolina, then you had a conversation. But Philadelphia, uh, Nigel Bradham is a top coverage linebacker, top three, top four in the league, no doubt. And Jordan Hicks is more than worth, worth his soul in coverage. And so, yeah, yeah, you can mask. If you're starting Hicks at will, if we're assuming that's the move because you're bringing in a, a round one linebacker and you've likely traded Michael Kendricks at this point, then you can very easily mask your middle linebacker in man oh, coverage. Sure. And so I think that coverage as a concern for Evans is mitigated. And then as a concern for Philadelphia linebacker in general can be mitigated mm-hmm. because of the people around him. Besides that, insane motor, insane physicality, hands are ridiculously powerful. Like I said, processing speed isn't his best trait, but when he sees it cleanly, he's, he's able to shoot, he's able to scrape, he's able to work through traffic. So everything is good there, checks all the boxes. You said Van Der Esch, uh, snuck into your top 30. To me, Evans was the top 30 player. He came in at 30 overall. Leighton Van Der Esch, 56. To me, there's a there's mm. a decent gap between Evans and Van Der Esch. I would take Evans 10 out of 10 times, no question. Yeah, I would definitely take Evans over Leighton Van Der Esch. That still stands, and there's a decent separation uh, between them. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of his game. He would be my preference if we went for a linebacker in that area realistically because obviously, you know, Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech is not going to be there. Same with, with Rich Homie Roquan. So uh, a couple of other linebackers that we brought in. I haven't had a chance to look at these guys, but I know that you have. The two are Darius Leonard from South Carolina State and Jermaine Carter from Maryland. Can you tell the gentle listeners what you saw on tape from these two gentlemen? Right. So I have not seen a lot of Jermaine Carter. I've seen more of Darius Leonard. Let's start with Carter, though, because I watched him recently. He only came in recently for a visit with Philadelphia. I will tell you the very clear similarity between these two players. And it's going to go against everything I just said like two minutes ago. (laughs) They're both excellent coverage linebackers. Both Ah. of their best traits are their ability and coverage. Jermaine Carter... Fluid mover. He's got a nice mobility, a sub 230 player. So this is very much so linebacker safety. It's a little bit of a gray area sort of a situation. But this is a guy who in coverage reads very well, understands throwing lanes, knows how to overlap zones, can understand quarterbacks, eyes and spacing and get into throwing lanes nicely. So great zone overlapping. And then he understands how to cover uh, in man coverage, he understands how to uh, attack leverage, his limitations. He does have good speed. We don't have any athletic testing on him, but he does have good play, play speed to stick with running backs and tight ends uh, down the field. And so that's very nice. exciting about Jermaine Carter. That being said, uh, he's decent working through through traffic. Uh, he's a good pursuit backer, definitely a weak side guy. The same thing Darius Leonard is that as well. Uh, good range, certainly good instincts. This is a guy who, if he's blocked, he's done, which is Michael Hendricks, which is half of the linebackers in this freaking class because the college game is just fast linebackers who can't handle being blocked. Like, that's just the reality of the game now. You can take a lot of that that I just spat there and then put it right back on Darius Leonard. Now, Darius Leonard, I think, is, is a better prospect. I think Leonard has a better ability to key 
for sure. And I think that he's a little bit better approaching blocks and understanding how blocking teams are attacking him. That being said, Leonard is uh, weaker, I think. I think Carter is a nice, thick uh, he's like 225, I think, something like that. And then Leonard's closer to 230 now, but he played South Carolina State at like 210, and he does not know how to use his strength whatsoever, right? So very little play strength. When he gets engaged, he cannot force much displacement, and he's not a great hitter or tackler or anything like that. But again, excellent coverage, big tackle radius with Darius Leonard. That's another thing he has over Carter is the sense that he's got, I think, a much bigger wingspan. Again, I don't have Carter's measurements, uh, but he, I think he's better at making tackles away from his frame than Carter is. Uh, it gives you, like I said, excellent coverage ability. So Leonard is, I think, a round four sort of a guy. Carter's probably closer to round five, maybe round six. Uh, but these are two players who certainly Michael Kendricks is out of the building. These are the guys we're talking about to replace Kendricks. So with Van Der Esch and Evans, we're talking more about Mike's guys who Jordan Hicks will kick to the will. Kendricks is probably still gone. Right. Maybe you guys are bringing in this guy and Hicks is just gone because his contract is expiring and he's always injured. If you're targeting a Leonard or a Carter, that's because Kendricks is out of the building. Hicks is your starting middle linebacker and you want to replace the will. And because Brad and Hicks have both played so well, uh, they're solid players. And Kendricks has always been kind of the weakest link and he kind of gets reduced and his role is hidden and he's blitzed more. You can get Kendricks, who was a second round pick, you can get his play with a fourth or a fifth or sixth round pick. And that's why you see Philadelphia looking at these young backers. Yeah, and keep in mind, too, that Corey Nelson from the Broncos, who is their dime specialist, was brought to the Eagles on a deal that was cheaper than he could have gotten with the Broncos because he was promised playing time. So these rookies would definitely be competing with him. If Kendricks was gone and Corey was the starter, they would be fighting for for snaps in that situation, uh, obviously contributing on special teams at first uh, while, while they get acclimated to the NFL. With cornerbacks, and we can kind of breeze through the first two guys, but the third one I definitely want to talk about because I had Trevor Sikama from Pewter Report on for episode 21. Go check that episode out. We talked about a lot of these top end corners and then some fits that would that the Eagles would be targeting for the nickel position, for instance, like a Dante Jackson from LSU that we brought in. Uh, he's a burner, super small, super short arms, uh, but he's very, very twitched up. And then you have Mike Hughes from UCF, who I was watching some more of this morning. I have a, I have a piece on him for BleedingGreenNation.com. He also brings some return value. He could play in the nickel for us. We would have to get him in the first round if we were targeting him. Yep. The other guy, the third guy, Tremont Smith from Arkansas State. You have seen him. I have not. Uh, what do you like about Smith? Why should I Why should I plug the tape in of Smith and be excited? Because he's freaking quick. <laughs> this, is, this is FCS Dante Jackson. If you watch Dante Jackson, kid at LSU, corner. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's FCS Dante Jackson. Insanely quick foot, uh, fleet-footed. Insanely fluid. Likes to guess. Knows he can recover because mm. he's so bursty. So he's like, screw it. Let me jump at every ghost in the world. And then he comes back to it. Again, like Dante Jackson, because he plays in kind of that aggressive recovery style. Mike Hughes, too. Yeah. That was, so all three of them yes, are in that mold. But I would That's argue that Mike Hughes is less, less of a guesser. I think Mike Hughes. He still likes to gamble, though. And he's still oh, yeah. very aggressive yeah, yeah, at the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, certainly. I'll put it to you this way. I think if you put on Jackson tape, Smith tape, Draymond Smith out of Central Arkansas, and then Hughes tape, and you count the amount of times they just jump at something, I think you're going to get a much <laughs> higher incidence for the LSU kid and the Central Arkansas kid than you would for, sure. for, for Hughes. Because I think I think Hughes uh, picks his spots better. But I'm a really big fan of Hughes. Yeah. I, I see your point, though. That, that, like, I didn't draw that parallel, but that is a good parallel to think about. These are jumpy guys. You do have to understand with Traymond Smith, uh, another key point, smaller guy, you know, 5'10". He, he, no way he's more than a buck 75. 
watching him against yeah. Houston Baptist. He's he looks small against Houston Baptist <laughs> players. Okay, right, very small, exclusively a nickel. Will have to work on that guessing, uh, but he does a good job addressing the catch point, especially when he's in recovery mode, which. You know, when you're in recovery mode as much as he is, you learn how to play the ball through the wide receiver and to anticipate, and he does well with that. I would love to see him have more zone reps because he didn't have a lot of zone reps in the very limited tape I was able to get on the central Arkansas Bears of FCS. You know what I mean? It's not a lot. <laughs> um, but I think he could be a fun zone player, right? The aggressiveness is, again, mm. something you'd have to tune, tune down, but the click and close is really very impressive. And it'd be fun to see that playing in more short zones, playing in the flat, playing in the hook curl as a nickel corner add in the fact that he doesn't have great vision i think the agility translate to elusiveness is not 100 there yet from an instinctual level but add in the fact that this is a young man who, who returned kicks with some decent success for central arkansas and has that experience very understandable why philadelphia looked at him now if philadelphia doesn't view their nickel corner as a big situation and and they're just kind of investigating smith because he could do some different things for them and maybe uh, become a good nickel Seventh round mm. is the place to target him. And I think that's a totally realistic pick, you know, for fun, right? Like it's, it. it's the seventh rounder. You try it, you see what happens. He's an FCS kid. Now, yeah. if they do view their nickel as a point of emphasis, I think you have to go nickel earlier. I don't think Smith's ready to start year one by any stretch of the imagination. You know, uh, it would be fun to be able to get a, a really late guy from a small school like this. And and his pro day has got him some attention. You know what I mean? Uh, Dean Brugler was the one who reported top 30 visits with the Browns, the Raiders, the Colts, the Chiefs and Philadelphia uh, for Traymond Smith. So teams are finding out about him, but I would not be looking at him before the, the sixth round off of what I've seen. Six, seven, I, I should say seventh, really. Like sixth is generous. So if yeah. Philadelphia does want a nickel. I think we'll start to know a little bit more about what that might look like because so far we've seen two early round corners who could do nickel stuff given their frame and their speed uh, and then a seventh round guy who could do nickel stuff. If we start seeing DJ Reed, Kansas State, we start seeing Perry right. Nickerson, Tulane, if we start seeing Nick Nelson, Wisconsin, if we start seeing Greg Stroman, Brandon Fashion, Virginia Tech kids. Now we've got a conversation that they're clearly focusing on the nickel. So that's a very interesting thing to watch as we get the rest of these top 30 visits in. But Traymond Smith, certainly worth the the amount of hype he's been able to muster for himself as an FCS kid. Excited to see it. I think he'd be fun. Super jitterbug. Good time. I'm going to check him out. That sounds... Yeah, get ready to watch a three-hour game against Houston Baptist. Don't worry, man. I got my YouTube skills all, all nice. JKL, man. Fast forward, pause, and, and all that. <laughs> We'll move on to the last one, and we're going to touch on him real quick. What we're going to do, okay, so it's safety, Justin Reed from Sanford. We've talked about him a yes. lot, and they talked about him on 94 WIP. We're going to have a show sometime next week where we are going to uh, rank who we want to take at 32 out of a certain amount of players, and we are going to debate against each other. I just decided oh, yeah. this. My producer just yeah. told me, Ben. No, I, I got that too from the producer as well, yeah. Beautiful. So your headphones are working fantastic. So Justin Reed from Stanford is the last guy, the, the last guy that we have brought in as far as the list goes. Uh, real quick before we go, there is some news that we were supposed to talk about at the front of the show, and I totally forgot because I was so excited to talk about these official visits. Breaking news. Huge free agency additions. Super sexy pickups. That's what we're about here on the Kiston Solak Show, breaking it down. We've got Richard Rogers, a tight end out of Green Bay. Uh, not super excited about the pickup, but I do uh, understand it. So eight touchdowns in 2015. You can fall in love with that if you want to. Uh, there's that. Uh, he played a nice percentage of snaps for them that year at 69%. 
And then it dropped to 55% in 2016, 29% in 2017. His special team snaps went up as those years went on. So you can kind of see what's going on there. Receptions, yards, and touchdowns have decreased over the last two years since his sophomore campaign. I'm not against the signing, but let's be realistic here. This moves the needle absolutely nowhere for me in terms of drafting a tight end at some point in the draft. But I like the depth because I never thought that Billy Brown was set to make a meaningful contribution to this team. Ben, what do you think? I think if Richard Rodgers is on the depth chart, then things went badly at the beginning of the season. <laughs> I'll put it to you that way. Which, like, I'm not trying... Right, I'm not like... Uh, that's like, you know, Richard Rodgers is, is a player. It's fine. Richard Rodgers uh, is not a great athlete. He is not a great receiver. He has always been a special teams guy. His pops was a special teams coordinator. Uh, he represents a tight end three insurance policy if Philadelphia right. is unable to execute what I believe their full plan is which is draft the tight end who becomes tight end two and then have Billy Brown win out the tight end three job. Like, I think that's the ideal situation right. for them. Is Billy, for Billy sure. Brown is able to do enough having developed to be tight end three. You know, maybe they, they, they bring in other guys, you know, guys off of other teams, practice squads, other training camp guys to compete for that tight end three spot. They, they draft a tight end two who's got it locked up. He's a mid round rookie. He's the dude. And then those young guys fight with Richard Rodgers, and Rodgers is an established, understood quantity on special teams. If yeah. nobody's able to beat him out, well, then you get a special teams producer, and he's in the league, and you know what you have with him. But ideally, two young players beat out Rodgers on the depth chart, and he doesn't stay with them through camp. That's my gut. That's Hopefully. my gut feeling from what Philadelphia wants. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully, that's the case. And then the last one, uh, Paul Warlow from... Where did he come from? The Atlanta Falcons, came linebacker. From Detroit. Uh, we came, Atlanta was where he undrafted free agent, was there for a few years, went to Detroit on a one-year deal. Now right. he's here. Correct. Yeah. Is he going to stay here? What do you okay, think? Like there's, oh, like the Eagles don't have to worry too much about drafting a middle linebacker who can cover because they have other such good coverage linebackers. And then there's Paul Warlow who cannot cover anybody. Uh, he has never <laughs> been a good coverage linebacker. Always been a good athlete, never has, has has trusted his eyes, never has has made good decisions. So he, he's at his best when he's playing a very simple role. He's just playing forward. I'll ask you this. Joe Walker or Paul, Paul Warlow, who's the better player? <laughs> <laughs> probably, honestly, honestly, probably Paul Warlow. Yeah. You sounded so enthusiastic about that answer. I totally believe uh, you. Uh, Warlow's, again, same thing as Rodgers, is a known special teams quantity. You know you're getting yeah. something out of him, right? Right. Right now, Philadelphia yeah. has significant, they've got a lot of bodies in that linebacking room. And we're talking a lot about them potentially drafting and bringing in another one. Of course, you could be moving on from Kendricks this year. I think that's the goal. And then you could be moving on from Hicks next year. I think that's also in the cards. But then, you know, Warlow, Nelson, Camus Grugier-Hill, uh, Nate Gary, Right. There's a ton of different bodies. Najee Good just went to Indianapolis. But there's yeah. a ton of depth in the linebacker room. They want somebody to freaking win. Uh, I didn't even say Walker. There's five right there. They want somebody to win a job. They want somebody to to to, to yeah. make a splash. Yeah. I, I imagine Warlow has a better chance of sticking on the roster than Rogers. I, I would imagine that Warlow does have the inside track to be the backup middle linebacker unless they really want to stick with Joe Walker, who's only like two or three years young. I don't know. What's important is this. Warlow and Rodgers are both late signees who are going to come cheap enough that they will count against the compensatory pick formula, which means that in 2019, when we expect Philadelphia to get a good amount of compensatory picks because they lost so much talent after the Super Bowl win, 
those picks will not be affected. These very cheap signings that may not even last. That's the big time takeaway. I like it, Ben. All right. Let the gentle listeners know. I'm very excited for this, for what you're about to tell the gentle listeners, because this is someone that I love that we are bringing on to the show. Let the gentle listeners know what we have on tap for next week. It's Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. There was no no drum roll. It just popped out. A little premature, as some would say. Matt Waldman, a wonderful football mind, a guy who really has a unique approach to film and an in-depth approach to film. And, and and is not afraid of just viewing the game in new and unique ways. King of metaphors. I guarantee you he'll drop at least 12 mm. while we're talking to and him. I'm going to steal all of them. We're going to count, and we won't tell them, but we'll be counting. And it'll be mm-hmm. a great time. He he just, uh, it, it's it's a fresh perspective. It's an invigorating perspective. It's one that makes you think he's a really fun guy to talk ball with. And so he's uh, re- recently released his rookie scouting portfolio, if you go uh, at Matt Waldman on Twitter, you can find all of the links thereof. He focuses exclusively on offensive skill position players, but gets far deeper into them than most do. Uh, and it's a wonderful resource. There are fantasy outlooks that you can get. It is pure dynasty outlooks you can get, NFL draft looks. It's all there. It's a fantastic resource. Cannot recommend it enough. I'm sure Matt will tell us more about it. But that's coming up early next week as we come into, Mike, three weeks What before the NFL draft. Of course, uh, keep an eye out behind the curtain. Ade Aruna is up. I'm looking to get another episode up early next week. This has been the Kist and Solak show with Benjamin Solak. That's me on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's with Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. We do, as always, appreciate you listening here to BGN Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, we will catch you next week. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly, Eagles, fly.